on the back of your bulletin, there's a little outline of what Jerry was going to share with you. He mentions, you know, going camping and or sending your kids out on, on a camp adventure. And, you know, one essential they need is the flashlight. Um, the last thing any child needs going to camp is to try to walk in the darkness. So that's our theme for this morning, walking in the Father's light. So let's dig right into the scriptures in verse 5. John says, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This is the message we've heard from him. Who is the from him? It refers back to Jesus that uh, Jerry talked about last week. John says that Jesus delivered a message and that message was that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, in our minds, there are shades of light and darkness, but in God, there is no darkness at all. He is pure light. God is holy. He's pure. And throughout John's gospel, this idea is soaked with the theme of God being light and his desire to continually draw men out of their darkness into this wonderful, marvelous light that we just sang about. So Christ on the Father's orders is consistently drawing us out of our darkness into the marvelous light. And yet sometimes I think we can kind of get content in what we call our partial light which God would say is complete darkness. Now notice what John says in verse 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. I'd like to throw out to you this morning that... Uh, our greatest enemy, I think, is our contentment to walk in partial light. Now, there's no such thing because what we would call partial light, God says, is darkness because in him is true light and there is no darkness at all. But it is our experience and our weak metaphors in life that give us this idea of a partial light. So we've got this person that John's addressing in verse 6. And he's saying, you know, I have fellowship with God. I have fellowship with God. I, I go to church some. I read the Bible some. I obey the Bible some. I do some good things. I'm not in total darkness here. There's some light in me. And yet God says to this person who walks in darkness... They are truly in darkness because they're not practicing the truth. Let's imagine those of you who get up early in the morning, you get up in the morning, it's just the pit of dark night. And you're going out for a run or you're going out for a walk. Uh, some of you know what it's like to get up, I mean, early, early while it's still dark to go hunting. I remember my dad would get me up early to go duck hunting. It was so dark outside. I mean, you can't see much at all. I mean, your eyes kind of slowly adjust to what little light the, the stars and moon might give you. 
But it is so easy to trip, so easy to fall. And if a duck flew over you, you wouldn't be able to see it. You might hear it quack. It's dark. And then pre-dawn begins its motions and things begin to happen and you're able to make shapes out a little bit better. I know when I'm running down one of the paths in Carrollton, you know, I, I see something out there. It, it looks like a limb. It could be a snake, and I have experienced both. It's dark out there. Finally, dawn begins to happen. The sun's not quite peeking over the horizon, but you think you can see clearly because you're comparing it to your previous experience. Now you actually make out the form of a duck flying overhead. You know that's probably a limb, not a snake. But there's still those cracks in the road and the sidewalks that can trip you over. It's still dark compared to what's coming next. And that's when the sun is fully up, full blown. You can see those ducks coming in V formation at you. You can see everything if you're jogging along. You see other joggers. You can stop and wave at them. You can have fellowship. You can encourage them along the way because you're in full light. There's no darkness at all. Now, again, that is a very poor example because we are tempted to think that sometimes we're in the light because we can make out a, a, a few things when we're really just blinded with a pre-dawn moment. And so our contentment in this so-called partial light is very dangerous for our souls because it's still dark. And the reason this whole human concept of partial light is dangerous is it's because it's a lie and it doesn't help us to practice the truth. We may know the truth, but we don't practice it. You know, human knowledge is not as enlightening as people think. Truth is a matter of the heart. It's doing and living the truth that brings us into the full light and into the fellowship of God himself. So if I say I have fellowship with God, but my actions aren't matching up to the revealed truth of God, it says two things about me. First of all, it says I'm lying. I'm just lying. Because the truth equates to God's word, the Bible, all the commands for living. When we say we have fellowship with God, you know, I'm really tight with God, but we're not living the lifestyle, we're really just lying to ourselves and everyone else. And the second thing it says about me is I'm, I'm deceived. I have deceived myself because I think I'm walking in the light, but I'm just stumbling in the darkness. Skip down to verse 8 for just a moment. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. We can be a very self-deceived people. We're deceived about our innocence. We're deceived about our walking in the light. We call it light, but God calls it darkness. And because we tried to make it light, 
we make God out to be a liar. Notice in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we say we're walking in light, we're not sinning, we make him, God, to be a liar, and his word's not in this. This, this human concept of partial light is very dangerous for our souls. So it's important for us to examine our lives in light of the cross. So we're going to do some cross-examination this morning. There's going to be at least one legal term we're going to look at, but I don't want it to look just from a a courtroom experience only. I want us to actually do cross-examination in the sense of viewing things from the cross. So I want you to imagine for a moment Jesus dying on the cross. I, I don't know what that looks like to you. I want you to get an image in your head, something that, that you're comfortable with. You see Jesus dying on the cross. And I want you to add to that that he's looking at no one else but you. Get that picture of Jesus on the cross, throw everybody away so you're not comparing yourselves to, to other people, just you. See, my, my, my fear when we have tragedies in this world like a shooter in Las Vegas or something like that, it gives people the out to say, well, you know, I got part, I'm, I'm not that bad. I got partial light. And God's saying, no, man, you're in the dark. So Christ is on the cross. He's focused just on you this morning. Let's go back and look at verses 6 and 7 for a second. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie, we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Does anything strike you strange about that contrasting set of verses? John says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. So if we are walking in the light as he himself is in the light, shouldn't it say we're not lying and we're walking in the truth. But that's not what it says. The Holy Spirit through John goes in a completely different direction here. And he talks about having fellowship with one another. And how the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Because walking in the light's not just about following commandments. It's about fellowship with God. Fellowship with other light walkers. And being forgiven and cleansed of our sin. So are we committed to God and to the fellowship? When you and I, when we walk in the light, two things are going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is that we have fellowship with other people. Fellowship with other believers. I get connected to others in a spiritual and loving way. I think back to the old prophet, uh, Old Testament prophet Jonah. You know, Jonah had the truth he preached God's word, but he didn't seem to have a whole lot of love for other people. God told him to go to Nineveh. He goes, I'm not going to Nineveh. That's where our enemies are. I don't want to preach good news to those guys. And he finally got there by way of that fish, you remember. He didn't have any love for these people that God loved. 
God's judgment was going to come upon them, but he's giving them another chance to repent. And when they did, Jonah really got upset about that. He was so disconnected from people. He could speak the truth, but he wasn't walking in the light of God. And the order of things in verse 7 seem very strange to me. Wouldn't you expect that the first thing that happens when you're walking in the light is that you're cleansed of your sin? And yet John reverses this for some reason. That the first thing happens when we're walking in the light is that we have fellowship with others. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. I'm going to take a stab at this. Why is fellowship put first? I think one is it's because relationships are important to God. He's a relational God. He wants us to be connected to him so that we're connected to his people. He wants us walking in the light with him so that we can walk in the light with other believers. I think a second thing here is, is Christ wants us to walk together uh, because walking in the light doesn't mean we're perfect. There are days we're going to sin and he wants us walking in the fellowship where we can freely be who we are and say, man, I really messed this up bad today. Can you guys help me? <laughs> we don't hide our sin from each other. We have sin as our common enemy, but we also have in common the grace and mercy of God. And I think maybe a third reason it's in this order is it's a personal testimony of John himself. Now, John and his brother are described in the New Testament as sons of thunder. Now, I don't know what pops in your mind as somebody who's a son of thunder, but I think just a hothead. Probably not a whole lot of love for other people. Short fuse, you do something wrong, boom, the wrath of John comes down on you, you know? We know from the scriptures that he and his brother James were successful businessmen in the fishing industry. According to Mark chapter 1, verse 20, they had hired hands. They weren't just poor old fishermen. They had hired hands. I'd almost be willing to bet there were times they just yelled at those hired hands. What? Is that, is that all the fish you guys caught last night? Clean your nets and get back out there, you know. They were called sons of thunder for a reason. Maybe it's a trait they learned from their father Zebedee. I don't know. But from their mama... They got another trait, blind ambition. If you're a son of thunder, you're not really connected to people much. And if you have blind ambition, you're not connected. You remember the time that she asked Jesus to put her two sons at his right hand to be his special ones? Do you remember a time when probably it was James and John because they desired this high position that Jesus caught his disciples arguing about who was the greatest I'd be willing to bet James and John were right in the middle of that discussion oh you guys are just businessmen we own a business we should be first instead they were promised a cup of suffering James was one of the first martyrs in the book of Acts John lived to be a very old man and after writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John writes the book of Revelation he dies as the last living apostle and so what we see in the life of John as he walked in the light this 
son of thunder who probably didn't love people very much was transformed just three years of walking in the light with Jesus Christ his heart was changed he began to have fellowship with other people and this was before Jesus died on the cross for his sin he comes to be known to us as the beloved disciple and when Christ is dying on the cross the one person who's there is John and he asks John to take care of his mother Mary see John gets this connection between walking in the light and having fellowship with others and it's going to be used throughout the book of 1 John so get used to it Jerry's going to be preaching on this for the next few weeks and it's just going to keep coming at you keep coming at you if you hate your brother you're walking in darkness if you're holding grudges you're walking in darkness if you don't change if you don't have fellowship with, with your brothers you're walking in darkness So let me ask you, are you committed to fellowship? Are you committed to connection? One of the greatest fellowships that we need to be connected to is marriage. Marriage is a fellowship. Are you committed to the fellowship of marriage? And if so, why? If it's, well, I probably couldn't do any better. That's not a really good reason. Tell that to your spouse. He or she makes me feel pretty good. If this ultimately is not based in walking in the light of Jesus Christ, that fellowship of marriage is not on a strong foundation. Are you committed to the fellowship of the ridge? I've been here uh, six years now, and I've seen some families leave our church. And I'm, you know, I, th I think there are probably times it's good for for people to leave if they're walking in the light, if they want to worship in a different way, or um, things in the family change. But I think 99% of the time, when people leave the church, it's not because they're walking in the light of fellowship they don't like the way something's done but they don't want to stick around to offer change they don't like what a certain staff person does they get crossways with someone and rather dealing with that fellowship issue the easiest thing is just change of venue I know it's hard sometimes if, if, if your kids aren't enjoying church, you want to go try another one, particularly if you have a teenager. But can I say something to our men this morning? Because you are the spiritual leader of your church, of your family. You are the, the, the pastor of your family. I think sometimes as I've observed this, not only at the Ridge, but at other churches I've been a part of, I don't see a lot of times the dad or the husband sitting down saying you know what we're not leaving we're going to deal with this 
If we have to sit down and talk about things, we're going to talk about it, but we're going to walk in the light, and that puts us in fellowship with others. John understands this fellowship thing, and he's going to talk about it a whole lot. But it even gets better, though, because he says, when we're walking in the light, we are cleansed of our sin by the blood of Jesus. As we step out into this light, the blood of Jesus on the cross cleanses us. What is salvation? Salvation is not, well, I get cleansed, get fixed first, and then I step out into the light. No. You hear Jesus calling, you step out into the light, and the cleansing work of the cross begins to work in us. We step into the light by the confession of our sins. We leave our darkness by confession of sin. Notice verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are we perfect immediately? No. But walking in the light continually reveals the darkness in our hearts and allows us to be cleansed through regular confession. You know, I'm one of the older guys around this church. And I've seen a lot of victory over certain areas of sin in my life. Holy Spirit just work, put it to rest, it's done. But as I get older, there are other dark things in my heart that come out that I've never had to deal with before. Where does this come from? Because as we're walking in the light, we have to deal with all the stuff that's there. And it changes in our seasons of life and our purposes of life and all of those sorts of things. But if we confess our sin, continually confess our sins, it shows that we're walking in the light and we're in a good relationship with our Heavenly Father. But it gets even better as you move into chapter 2. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. That little phrase, my little children, is going to be used a lot by John. Um, there's a guy, I don't know if, if Jerry will introduce him to you. I, I didn't have time to do the study. I wanted to, but um, one of the disciples of John was Polycarp. And, and I just think of when John says, my little children, he, he's talking about all the believers he's writing to, but, but I just wonder if he's not talking to this one special child, Polycarp. Wouldn't you have loved to have been Polycarp? Hey, John, tell me again. One more time. How did he feed all those people with just a few loaves and fishes? John, what was that like when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Tell me again. And I bet John told him everything, but there was purpose to it. The purpose was though that Polycarp would not sin. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation of our sins, not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. Three great descriptions of Jesus here. Advocate, the righteous, and our propitiation. Advocate is a legal term. You go to court, you're guilty before the judge, you're casting yourself on the mercy of the judge, and you have an advocate who comes alongside of you. He's your champion. He's your proponent. He acts on behalf of you. 
And that's what Jesus has done for us. When we confess our sin, he is our advocate before the Father. He champions our forgiveness. He's Jesus the righteous. He is perfect. He is holy light like the Father. And he is propitiation. Try to say that a time or two. We don't use it very much, propitiation. Now let me give you another word for it, okay? Think of the word satisfaction. Works for me anyway. There may be other words you want to substitute there. The sacrifice of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, satisfies the demand for justice satisfies the demand of penalty for our sin. The blood of Jesus satisfies the requirement of the penalty due me by my sin. Sometime go back and look at the very first film uh, of the Narnia series or, or reread the very first book. C.S. Lewis just to me captures this idea of propitiation or satisfaction. And I wish I'd had time to put even a little movie clip together for the for a moment, because there, there's that time where, where the white witch demands the life of young, blood, uh, young Edmund for his crime. It's blood satisfaction. And it's the rule of law. It can't be set aside. And yet, Aslan the lion, who is, is the, the type of Christ, brings her into the tent and comes back and, and she lets it happen, go, lets Edmund go away because... Aslan is going to satisfy the requirement by giving his life on the great stone. He was the advocate. He was righteous. And he is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction. And the purpose of it is fellowship. Fellowship with God as we walk in the light. There's an inside joke here at the Ridge. So for our guests, let me just say... Our pastor's favorite author is John Piper. So I want to give you a John Piper quote this morning in honor of our, our pastor, but it fits very well. Piper says, Christ is our attorney, and his portfolio is his atonement. He stands before his Father in heaven, and every time we sin, he doesn't make a new atonement. He doesn't die again and again. Instead, Jesus opens his portfolio, lays the exhibits of Good Friday on the bench before the judge. Photographs of the crown of thorns, the lashing, the mocking soldiers, the agony of the cross, and the final cry of victory. It is finished. This week is the anniversary, 500th anniversary of the Reformation. The Reformation marks a return in history of some concepts like being made right with God, faith in Christ alone for our regeneration. The Reformation highlights words like advocacy and propitiation, but also don't miss the Reformation brings us fellowship with God. Finally, in his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis makes another point, I think, rather well. Lewis says, It would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Our desires aren't too strong, they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition 
when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. The Christian gospel calls us from our contentment in this so-called partial light for which we too easily settle to find instead fellowship with Almighty God and others as we walk in His light. All of it is possible because we have an advocate who satisfies the demands of justice, our propitiation by His blood which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So we have Jesus on the cross. Nobody else is there but you. Are you walking in the light? Or are you just fooling yourself? Are you walking in fellowship with God and his people? Do you understand we have a great advocate for us when we do sin? And as we get ready to come for communion this morning, as we take the bread and the juice and we take it back to our seat and we pray as a family or you pray to yourself, maybe this will give a new dimension to communion this morning. So it's not just the same old, same old. That this is for believers who have stepped out of darkness into the light, who has received the atoning work of Jesus Christ for fellowship and for the forgiveness of sin that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray together.